of serving as the lead pastor here at Church Chapel. Now, I wonder, have you met someone who is always repeating themselves? Have you met someone who is always repeating? You've just, you've just done it. There we go. You just met that person. Now, why do, why do people say the same things over and over again? Well, it could be a number of things, couldn't it? Sadly, it could just be a sign of health problems like Alzheimer's. Uh, it, it is one of the toughest things, I think, uh, when uh, people start losing their memory and they forget that they've already told you that thing multiple times already in the last hour. And it takes a special sort of grace and patience to smile and courteously listen and then try and move them on to something else. Equally, repeating yourself could be a sign of your own stupidity or stubbornness. Uh, how many mothers have said something like this? How many times do I have to tell you? Don't leave your dirty clothes on the floor. Put them in the washing basket. Or it can be a sign of seriousness or importance. Do you understand this? This is really important. I'm going to go through this one more time so that you get it. Every flight I've been on, this poor air stewardess gets up there and tells you what to do in an emergency. Every single time. Because it's important. Uh, it could be a sign of satisfaction and delight. When something is exciting, when it's thrilling to us, we tend to go on about it. We repeat it because there's a delight in even speaking of it. You know, a great meal at a restaurant. Oh, we went to this incredible place, had this amazing meal. And you tell people about it or uh, a championship winning goal. It was in the dying seconds. Did you see that overhead scissor kick that got in? And what a player, what a team. Whoa. And you'll just talk about it and talk about it. Now, as you come to the end of Exodus, and it'll really help if you open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, we're going to tackle um, from chapters 35 to 40 this morning, so strap in. That's exciting, isn't it? You've seen me spend a whole sermon on half a chapter, and we're going to do five. And uh, as we come to the end of Exodus, you will notice that a lot of detail is getting repeated again. Like we've had all the detail about the tabernacle. In fact, we, we slowed down as a church. We went through a sermon on each pieces of the tabernacle. We did a sermon on each one. Imagine now today I said, okay, now the next 10 weeks we're going to do again a sermon on the the bronze altar of sacrifice. We're going we're gonna to do a sermon on each piece of the furniture again. You'd be sitting there thinking, I think someone needs a quiet word with Paul. Uh, does he not know he's already done this? And we might be tempted to think that perhaps Moses is showing some of his advanced age and he, as he repeats himself at the end of the book, as he talks again about the tabernacle, he goes over pretty much exactly the same detail all over again. And an impatient reader might be tempted to be a bit bored. But you know what? The Bible never repeats itself to be boring. When we see repetition in the Bible, we should take note. This is really important. And important things get said 
twice. Not only is the tabernacle important, but it is something of delight and joy. And as the retelling of it, there's a real joy in going over all the details again. Because the significance of the tabernacle is that the Lord Almighty, the Holy One, the Redeemer, the world ruler, the the sovereign God of grace and power wants to live among his people. He wants to move in. They're wandering through the wilderness in tents. He says, build me this tent and I will fill it and I will come with you. I will go with you on this journey to the promised land. I want to be your God and you're going to be my people. And that is why there is this repetition of all the details of the tabernacle because it's so amazing. So turn back to um, chapter 25 and uh, verse 8 which is the beginning of all the details of the tabernacle. Uh, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. It's on page 83 in the church Bibles, page 83. And uh, look at verse 8. And this is what the Lord says to Moses. 25, verse 8. Then let them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. That's the big purpose. This is the purpose why God saved them out of Egypt. For this very reason, that he would dwell among them, his delivered people. You see, the book of Exodus starts with an enslaved people crying out under cruel oppression uh, of their Egyptian masters. Hard labor, frequent beatings, deprivation. They were being forced to watch their sons to being thrown into the river Nile. They were facing a future with no hope except this uncaring policy of genocide. But instead of that future, the sovereign Lord did something remarkable. He stepped in. He he came in to save them. He routed their enemies. He gave them deliverance. He brought them to himself by the blood of the Lamb. He graced them with his directive law. And finally, uh, in In the fullness of his person, he wants to take up residence at the center of their community as their indwelling God. What a story. So how does it start? It starts with uh, them as slaves forced to serve Pharaoh. How it ends? A free people choosing to serve and worship the living God, their Savior, their Redeemer, who wants to dwell amongst them in the center of their community and their lives. Isn't that beautiful? What an amazing arc. What an amazing storyline. And the reason that this is exciting for us is that the history, this history prefigures our eternal salvation achieved through the Lord Jesus Christ. This all really happened, but it was all there to prepare us for the reality of Jesus coming into the world. We need to be rescued from the guilt of our sin, from the enslavement of our sinful nature and the abusive power of the devil. And because of God's compassionate love, he came down in his son who was willing to suffer in our place in his death on the cross and be raised from the dead to reign so that we could be rescued, forgiven and set free to be his people. And as part of God's redeemed people, we are heading to the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth where God will dwell with his people and he's going to wipe every tear from from our eyes. This wonderful storyline of Exodus prefigures our story. Isn't that amazing? 
I don't know whether you've come in today and you're kind of beaten up by life and you're thinking, actually, I don't know, is there any hope in life? Well, I'm glad you're here today. There is hope. It's in Christ. And my Christian friends, let's remind us ourselves of this amazing grace that has touched our lives. This is our story. But you see, to experience the joy of God dwelling among them as a community, they needed to obediently construct this tabernacle. So back at 25 verse 8 and 9, Then let them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. To enjoy God's presence, they need to obey God's word and make this sanctuary exactly the way God told them to do. So notice with me, firstly, it required willing obedience. So turn to chapter 35. We're going past that awful incident of the golden calf. And with great relief, you start chapter 35, and it continues where it left off. We're talking about the Sabbath. And then look at verse 4 and 5 of Exodus 35. So verse 4, Moses said to the Holy Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. You see the crucial note there? It's, uh, I want to do this, I want to dwell among you. But you need to make this tabernacle. Are you willing? Do you want me to come? Do you want me to live among you? Do you want me to dwell near? Well, it's exactly what they did. If you look at verse 21 of the same chapter. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. And this was not only a sort of a free will offering of gifts and resources, it was a free will offering of, of time and skills. Uh, look at 36 verse 2. Uh, then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. There were people there filled by the Spirit of God with skills and abilities to do this work of making this stuff. But again, are they willing? Are they willing to use their crafts and their skills and their ability? Are they willing to, to, to take the materials that have been brought? Are they willing to take them and fashion them into these different items? Are they willing? Ah, oh, they were willing. Bezalel had spirit-given abilities, creativity, technical ability to produce the tabernacle. And he and Aholiab, it says, had the skill to teach other people their crafts. But they needed the people willing to use their God-given gifts. I love this. Do you know what? If, you are, if your gifts are about materials and art and music 
and I don't know, making perfumes. There's, there's a need to make incense here. There's, there's people in the perfume business I can see at the back here. There, there's, there's, there's all these gifts are taken up and, and used by the Spirit to accomplish something for His glory. Isn't that great? All the different gifts, all the different abilities. God, God, God can use all of it for His glory. But they need to be willing. Secondly, notice that to enjoy God's presence, that it required a costly generosity. That's my second point, a costly generosity. See, the materials they had to give were, were valuable ones. Gold, silver, bronze, colored cloth, rare stones, spices, and oils. God called on them to freely give of their best possessions to construct this tabernacle. Undoubtedly, of all the tents in the, in the camp, there was the blingiest tent of all, and that was God's tent. And so they need to be willing to be generous with their most costly goods. Now, where did all these oppressed slaves get all these possessions? Well, the answer is that they received them as a result of their night of redemption in Egypt. God told them uh, on the way out to ask the Egyptian neighbors for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothes as they left. You know, they had nothing. They were destitute. But God says, as you leave, ask the Egyptians for their stuff on the way out. And such was the fear of the Egyptians after the signs and the plagues that God brought about on Egypt. They were desperate to get rid of the Israelites. Yeah, take our gold, take our silver, take our cloth, take it, go, go, go. And it says in, in Exodus, and so is the Israelites plundered the Egyptians as they left. So what was God really asking them to give here? It was to give something back of the goods that they'd already received solely by the grace of God. God had given them all these resources, and God says, well, look, I'd, really, I'd love to dwell among you. Will you give to make this tabernacle so that I can dwell? Will you give for that? Now, isn't that always the case? That all that we have ultimately is given by God, isn't it? Okay, you were able to do a week's work and you got a paycheck. Well done. You worked hard, you got a paycheck. Who gave you the health and strength to work? Who gave you the skills that someone's willing to pay you to do that? Who's given the whole planet of world and wealth so we can actually have wealth? It's all God, isn't it? All that we have comes from Him. Um, and what could be a better use of our possessions than to put them at God's disposal so that... Um, so that others can experience and meet with God. Now look at the response of the people. It Notice it needed a special appeal. Uh, a special appeal for them to stop giving. This is, I've never known a treasure to do this yet. Uh, this is an extraordinary thing. Exodus 36, verse 5 and 7. It says in chapter 36. And uh, the, 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 the team said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord. Uh, commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. Would you just stop it? There's not enough space for all the stuff. Let's just stop. What a glorious thing, eh? And so the people were restrained. Oh, come on. I'd like to give some. No. 
nope, sorry, you can't give any more. Restrain from bringing more, because they already had all that they needed. Now, why did the people give so generously? Because they knew something of the awesome grace of God in their lives. Not only their salvation out of Egypt, but his amazing grace them since the sin of idolatry of the, of the golden calf. It looked like it was all over, but God in his amazing grace called Moses back up the mountain and gave him two more stone tablets, and it's all back on. How gracious God is. It's all of God's grace to enable this tabernacle project to go forward. And you know, this is always the case, isn't it? It's always an understanding of God's grace that motivates generosity. Um, you know, we can maybe manipulate people for a short period of time to give, but you know, you're, not, you're gonna stop. The only way that people are gonna freely give is when they understand the enormous generosity of God's grace in their lives and go, I just wanna give. God has been so good to me. He's been so good to us. I want to give back to him. I, I love the grace I've experienced. I want other people to experience this grace, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. That's, that's where it comes from. And if we don't give much of our time or talent or money, it's probably a spiritual heart indicator that we've not adequately grasped how amazingly generous God has been to us. Thirdly, they only joined the uh, glorious presence of God after they faithfully completed the work. So, uh, firstly, it was willing. Secondly, it was costly, generosity. And thirdly, it was faithfully completed. See, if you read uh, these chapters in one sitting, the phrase that keeps coming up in these closing chapters is this. They built each bit, and here's the phrase, just as the Lord commanded Moses. I counted it at least 17 times. Just as the Lord commanded Moses. So look at the summary at chapter 39, um, verse 42. Last two verses of chapter 39, page 100. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. It sounds like the creation account in chapters 1 and 2. Here is, in a sense, the beginning of a new creation. Just as the Lord commanded that each part of the tabernacle should be built, it was built exactly the way that God had said. God said, and it was so. And so Moses blesses the endeavor just as God blessed the creation at its completion. It was good. It was done just as God had described. See, the tabernacle is almost like a recreation of the Garden of Eden, the place where God would come down to walk with Adam in the cool of the day and fellowship together. The faithful completion of the work by the people of God really matters if they wanted to be those who enjoyed his glorious presence among them. Because all the details mattered. Go back and listen to Suze if you've missed any of it. The details matter. They speak of the holiness of God and they communicate how it is that we can approach this God. 
And so if, chapters, if chapter 39 is all about how they had constructed each part of the tabernacle, in chapter 40, you get a blow-by-blow account of the day that Moses first set up the tabernacle for the very first time. He'd inspect all the parts, it was great. And then the day came, the glorious day, when he was going to put it all up for the very first time. He was going to pitch the tent, pitch the outer courtyard, put all the pieces in the right place. Look at chapter 40, verse 33. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance of the court. And so Moses finished the work. What happens then? It seems like no sooner did he finish the work, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What an awesome reality when God came close. Verse 36, in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. How glorious. You're wandering through the wilderness. Are we lost? No, no, look, there's the cloud. It's even there at night. We can see it. God's with us. He's got a plan. He's leading us. It's as if God cannot wait to move in with his people. No sooner is he finished, he's in. What an awesome privilege this is. God's glorious presence dwelling amongst his redeemed people. In all their travels, God was dwelling with them. His presence known. And God guided and led them to the promised land. Now how should we apply this to us today? Firstly, I want to say it, it points us to Jesus, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's December, the first Sunday of December. Let me give you my Christmas text today. Exodus chapter 35 to 40. Summarized beautifully in John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He made his dwelling among us. How is it that we can know the glorious presence of God in our lives and in our church only because of Jesus. It needed his willing obedience. Uh, We would be spiritually bankrupt. We would be enslaved to our sinful natures. We would be abused by the devil. We would be terrorized by death and eternally lost if God the Son had not been willing To come in human flesh that first Christmas and become a baby and grow up to be a man. How glorious that Jesus was willing to come. That God in his compassion saw us in our state of lostness and he says, I'm going to come and rescue. And his son enters into the world to become our redeeming saviour. Jesus fulfilling the words of Psalm 40, he said this, Here I am. I have come to do your will. 
Was he willing? I have come to do your will. Praise God, Jesus was willing. And it was a costly generosity, was it not? You know, Peter reminds the church uh, in his first letter, we were not redeemed from our empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus knew that the blood of bulls and goats applied in the tabernacle and the temple would never themselves take away sins. And so he willingly set his face to go to Jerusalem where he knew he would be arrested. He knew that he would be mistreated and mocked and beaten and crucified and his own body would become a sacrifice for our sins. It doesn't get more costly than that, does it? He himself not merely took on human flesh to become a man but became obedient to death, even death. On a cross, he was willing to pour out his life blood to redeem you and me. And his sacrifice is fully sufficient for all who will repent and surrender their lives to Jesus, who will confess their sins and put their trust in him as their Savior because our willing substitute was the sinless Savior. And his last cry on the cross, it is finished. His work faithfully completed. He did everything required just as the Lord had commanded. And so the writer of the Hebrews makes this contrast between Jesus and Moses says this, Moses was faithful in his obedient construction of the, of the tabernacle, the house of God. But it says this, but Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself, Moses was faithful as a servant, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Everything in that tabernacle was pointing to and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, God the Son. The completed tabernacle was filled with what? With God's glory. And that's why in John's prologue, reflecting on the whole life story of the earthly ministry of Jesus, John wrote this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And my friends, if you receive this Jesus and rely on His salvation, then not only are you forgiven, uh, you're adopted into His family. You become part of His household. And it says in 1 Peter that the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do you know as you head out into the world that you're glorious? If you trust in Christ, you're glorious. The spirit of glory rests on you. You know, you, you might do your best to try and hide it, but other people will see it. So my friends, have you done that? 
If you put your trust in Jesus, have you repented of your sins? Are you relying upon him? If the answer is yes, rejoice today, my friends. This is a glorious message. This is true of you. And if the answer is no, no, I've not done that. What are you playing at? You could do it today. Come and talk to me. Come to talk to anyone you know who's a member here. We'd love to share with you how you could sort that out before you even leave the building today. And this leads logically to the next line of application. How the Exodus points us to being the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the tabernacle points us to Jesus, but do you know what? The tabernacle also points us to us as those in Christ. So Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6 says, But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And this is what he says, And we are his house. We're the tabernacle. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Where can the lost people of Edinburgh, Lothians, and the Fife come to meet with God? They need to find earthly tabernacles, don't they? Now, church names go through different trends uh, through the centuries. Uh, a very popular name for churches in the Victorian era was Tabernacle. There's the East London Tabernacle. There's the Worthing Tabernacle. There's where Spurgeon was, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, these will, it, it will eventually come back. If Jesus tarries, we will be getting back into planting tabernacles, I bet you. Um, and, it, and it works, doesn't it? Because you know what? Churches are where God has said, I'm going to dwell among you. Wherever his disciples gather together, there God is delighted to enter in and dwell and be near. We are an earthly tabernacle of the living God. Not necessarily this fancy building, just us. Wherever we hang out together, we're the tabernacle. That's what Charlotte Chapel is. Do we want to enjoy the glorious presence of God in our lives? Can I suggest to you, get stuck in at Charlotte Chapel. Get stuck into church life. But are you willing? It does require willing obedience. Can I suggest to you that you will most enjoy the presence of God in your life when you're willing to engage in the work of making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ when you get stuck into that it is to those who obey the command of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations that he promises surely I am with you always to the end of the age you see that linkage about his work Jesus promises his presence do you know there's loads of ways you can serve and use your gifts together? We've even got a toolbox ministry. If your skill is crafts, making stuff, painting stuff, fixing stuff, we've got jobs for you to do. Um, we've had art exhibitions where people have used their artistic skills in a drop-in cafe that we got to share the gospel with people. I love that the art school in Jerusalem is called the Bezalel School of Art. So you think that's great. If you've got artistic skills, you can be used. Do you know what? If you've got website skills, AV skills, database skills, comm skills, graphic skills, if you love cooking for people, we've got jobs for you to do. Everyone at church has got different skills and abilities, and if you're willing, you can use them for God's glory 
Hewitt Sharp Chapel to be part of this process of making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ in this city. It was a costly generosity, wasn't it? See, people who discover the joy of giving their resources and of giving their time and utilizing their gifts and talents in the service of God and become co-laborers in the work of the gospel, I reckon those are the ones who experience more of the joy of the presence of God in their lives. One of our elders, uh, I'll let him tell his own story, but he, he was reluctant to become an elder. And then I, I pressed him and he said, oh, come. And he says, since he's become an elder, he's really grown in his faith. It's been a blessing to him. It's not surprising, is it? Willing, generous, and finally faithfully completed. See, for us to be a faithful church, we need to be committed to following the biblical pattern that God has revealed in his words. We will want to do only the things that God commands and avoid the things he forbids. And there should be this ongoing reforming ourselves against the word of God to see that what we're following is the biblical pattern laid out in his words. What he says about elders and deacons and members and baptism and the Lord's Supper, what he says about reading the Bible and prayer and preaching God's word and church discipline. We are not free to ignore the bits of the Bible that don't fit in with our preferences or with the current cultural fads. But when we commit to this, to, to obediently seeking to do all that he says and being faithful in it, I believe we will know a greater awareness of the God of glory at work in our lives and in our church as we seek to walk in step with his spirit. Let me tell you, one of the surprisingly joyful moments this week was the church members meeting on Wednesday. Um, just simply to come and sing the praises of Jesus. We sang a couple of songs a cappella. It sounded amazing. Just to rejoice at how glorious Jesus was together in song. To hear from the treasure how the Lord has provided all that we need through the generous giving of God's people. Thank you for all who give generously. What a joyful thing. To hear the skills of IT and photography and design are being used to make a a really much more attractive website and to invite others to come along, to hear how Alison Watson and others are engaging in discipleship conversations, they're helping people apply the gospel and finding new freedom and joy in their lives, uh, to remember dear saints who've passed on ahead into glory, to know the God who is saving and sanctifying and satisfying and sustaining his people. That's glorious. That's what we are. Are you wanting to be a part of it? Are you want to be in on this? Are you wanting to get invested in the spread of the gospel and the life of this congregation? You see, if we're going to see 1% of the lost in Edinburgh reached, 5,000 people, we need to plant another nine healthy churches that together with the three we've already planted grow to at least being 250 in size. We need to keep growing as a city-centered church that earnestly prays that the Father would give the Son 5,000 more souls in Edinburgh as we seek to reach our neighbors and our, and our friends and our work colleagues with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there are carol invites out there. You can take them away and you know, give, 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 
invite, you know, ask a friend and invite a stranger. You can walk down the street and hand them to people if you want. Uh, so we've got digital versions you can send out. Um, I, I see Phil and Chris there. They, they came to the carol service last Christmas, and uh, they got baptized this year. Who... Who's going to be sitting here next year because they got invited to the cow service and they decided, I want to follow Jesus and get baptized and become a member? How cool is that? Are you going to be involved? What an opportunity. Are we going to invest in something that is ultimately, eternally significant and that's full of glory? Are we just going to be distracted by lesser concerns? And so those who are early retired with good pensions... How could you use your increased time and gifts to be involved in this work of seeing people become Christians and grow in their faith? How can you get stuck in to edify the Christians? Don't waste your, your, your retirement years. Students, you'll never have as much time as you have right now. I know you don't believe it, but you really have so much time. You won't have this much time until you eventually retire with a good pension. And um, that might never happen for you. So uh, make the most of the opportunities right now. Reach out to your non-Christian friends at uni and school. Workers, can I just say, do have a vision for serving Christ in the workplace. He can use you there. But don't be so absorbed in your career that you never give time to serve Christ through evangelism in your workplace or through the getting stuck into the ministry of this church. If your strategy is, I'm just going to totally focus on my work and then I'm going to retire early and then I'm going to spend time with the church, my guess is you won't, unless you get into the habit of doing it now. We're working together for the day, this glorious day, we find out in Revelation. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Exodus. Thank you for your plans and purposes for Israel that now we see, even on a larger page, in a cosmic way. Thank you that we, as many of us Gentiles, get included in all these good purposes, that there's hope for the nations in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Would you please thrill our hearts to invest in all that you were seeking to do in these days. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to close with a final song. Uh, let's stand and sing. There is one gospel.